Today's scripture reading can be found in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 10. Uh, So if you'll turn there in your Bibles with me, it'll also be on the screen behind me. And then once you find it, will you guys stand as we read the word of God? Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You can be seated. Again, if you're new, I want to welcome you to the Parks Church. Welcome to our gathering. Uh, If you are new, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. We preach through uh, books of the Bible, and we are teaching through the book of Acts. And we're starting a, a new chapter here, Acts 16. And uh, I've shared this story uh, before, but I I think it fits, and sorry for repeating myself, but uh, my freshman year uh, in college uh, in Missouri, where I'm from, uh, I wrote a paper in in my English class, um, and I had just visited uh, the great state of Texas prior to this. Yeah, uh, not so much whooping after I probably tell the story. Um, and I just visited Texas, and so I wrote this paper uh, on that experience because it was, it was life-changing. And, uh, and I wrote, and at the end of that paper, I emphatically stated how I would never live in the nation of Texas. And, uh, um, and I know I just lost some hearers there, uh, but uh, look at me now, right? Like, I mean, I've drank the Kool-Aid with the boots and all that, right? Um, but that's what I said. Um, fast forward a little bit. Um, I'm now my wife and I got married. Uh, we, uh, moved to Texas and about two and a half years into us being here. Or so, uh, find myself, uh, interviewing for a job in North Carolina and a church out there and, uh, went through literally like five or six interviews, you know, it's 99 page application and, and all these things. And, and, uh, we're like, okay, like, we're going to North Carolina, and so so sure of it. Um, um, and I was trying to think of something we could relate to as not going as planned, right? A time, a season, maybe a year, right? Where you know the the, the definition or words to describe it, uh, planned as planned is not part of the sentence, right? This is not a year that anybody planned for, anybody thought that we would be living in or, or that we could prepare for in, in any way. And maybe for some of you, the story of your life is that, right? Maybe as it relates to a, a health crisis, and I'm not talking about a pandemic, but a health crisis in your family, or, or maybe it's kids or, or not kids or, or, or something like career, like I was describing. 
um, what do we do with plans? What do you do with plans? You see, the scripture is not silent on planning. You know that, right? The scripture is not quiet on, on, on what planning, human planning uh, is about. And I want you to see these, these scriptures and you just give them to me in order. Uh, guys, it says this, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. The plan, the way, is not in himself. That it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. It's not in you and me to direct our steps. Next one. The steps of a man are established by who? The Lord. When he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. And I could give you scripture after scripture after scripture that reinforce all of those points to say, listen, we tend to make plans. But here's what the Lord does. He establishes them. He is the one that executes them. He is the one that rolls them out. And we have kind of a, a, a common language around here that, that we make plans in pencil, right? Acts 16 directs us in how plans and how the Lord works as it relates to our planning. I hope you, you understood that as Rachel even read that. But I'm going to ask three questions of this text, right? Three questions that I think are going to be helpful, useful for us as it relates to plans. And even in this year, I think we're, we're, we're faced with so many unique decisions. We're faced with so many even interesting feelings that, that we haven't really cultivated much, but this year has forced us to think about. And so how we process them is important. How we sense and see the Spirit leading us is important. But I want us to understand this up front, that God is the one who is in charge. He is the one who is leading, and He is showing us what he wants from us, if we're sensitive to hear from his spirit and paying attention, okay? And so let's ask the first question from the text. It's this, why or how did Paul choose Timothy? Right, out of the gate, um, if you'll remember from, from last week, they had just finished in Antioch where Paul and Barnabas split over a disagreement. And now Paul has taken with him Silas. And they're going through uh, this region. This is probably, this is his second missionary journey, which is most likely about five years after his first missionary journey. And so they are essentially just reversing the route from that and hitting all the churches that they had on their first journey. And, and the point of Paul's trip, as Paul's point in every trip is this, to to advance the gospel and strengthen the churches. But also, specifically in this second missionary journey, is they were taking the letter from the council of Jerusalem to these churches. And if you remember, the letter from the council was this, that they had decided that we are saved by grace, through faith alone, no works of our own, meaning that circumcision, which is what they wanted to add to it, is not a requirement for salvation. So they were delivering that message to all of these churches. And so here, Paul comes back to Lystra and Iconium. Okay, so if you remember what happened, do you remember what happened to Paul last time he was in Lystra? He was stoned. That's right. That's exactly right. He was stoned and drug out thinking he was dead. Timothy, here, Timothy is from Lystra. All right. He is from there. And, and most likely uh, this is, is he's, he's probably in his late teens, early 20s at this point. So if this is five years later, he came to faith as an early teenager in that moment of Paul's first missionary journey there, where he most likely with his mother witnessed Paul's stoning. Incredible scene. And, and it should also kind of spark back um, to another stoning from early on in the book of Acts, where the first martyr, Stephen, was stoned. Do you recall that scene? He was there, and, and who, who was observing that? 
from afar? Who, who was kind of executing that? Who was kind of leading that charge of that stoning, right? You remember one who looked on. He didn't carry the name Paul back then. He carried the name Saul. And then the Lord saw fit to save Saul on the Damascus road. In fact, calling back to even that persecution of his church in his execution of Stephen, the first martyr. And so think about how powerful this would have even been now another stoning, except Paul's on the receiving end of it. And Timothy's peering in and the Lord uses that most likely to save him. So now speed forward five years. Paul's back in this place delivering this letter and he sees Timothy. Timothy, who has a good reputation, who is growing as a disciple. What is, what is the way in which Paul decides to choose Timothy? Did you see that? Did you see the, 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 the super spiritual word there in, in verse 3? Look at it. Paul wanted Timothy. How did Paul choose Timothy? He wanted him. He desired Timothy to go with him on the road ahead. On the, on the journey. And this idea of this word wanted is a, a, a word that should kind of stir up within us. Paul strongly desired Timothy to go with him. Okay? Now, now let, let's think about this. Um, God put a desire in Paul's heart for something that wasn't there before. Did he not? So back to my opening story about Texas. We had, I had no desire to come here. Until Sam and Aaron and Holly... Full Tessa and I, my wife, into coming down for what we thought was a free trip and also an interview, okay? And we come down here just going, you know what, this is going to be great to see them. Spend two, three days. That was the quietest drive back to Missouri we ever made. Why? Because the Lord put in us a desire that was not there prior. Okay. Now here's a question. Is every desire of your heart from God? Yeah, you better all go. No, no, it is not. So how do you know? How do you know? How how do you know? Even in our our, our drive home from from Texas to Missouri, it just wasn't like, are are we just kind of feeling the warm and fuzzies because we really like the people down there? Is it because just Sam was in there? How how do we know? Right? We, We have to go on a journey. You have to go on a journey to discover. All right, and so I want to tell you three, three things that, that are important to ask those desires. The first one is this. Is it biblical? Is it biblical? There are certain things in your life as, as you plan, as you process, as you think through, as you make decisions, that you can look at and go, this just doesn't line up with Scripture. Therefore, I'm not going to engage in it. Or therefore, you know, does that make sense? Do, does it line up with the Scriptures? Well, in making that decision, in our example, the example I'm using... You know, when I go to look for T for Texas, this is going to be a shock to some of you. Texas isn't in here, all right? Texas isn't in I couldn't find it, okay? You know, move to Texas. It wasn't in there. So what do you have to do when the specifics are not there? You look at principles. You look at the scriptures and the principles that they give. Is this a biblical desire? Is this something that, as I submit it to the weight and authority of the scriptures, that it lines up with the principles or specifics, if they're there, that it gives? And then the next thing is this, is it wise? And these two go hand in hand, okay? Because for some of you, you can point out things that are biblical or the principles that are are biblical, but it is simply not wise for you, all right? That desire just simply wouldn't be wise for you. Now, Now, here's where it gets a little tricky because how do you know if something's wise or unwise, right? We just said, okay, submit it to the scriptures. But what if you're still, you say, okay, I don't see anything or specifics there in scripture or principles in scripture. How do I know if it's wise? Look at Proverbs 13. Look at this. 
Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Leave that up. So we had uh, Sam and I and and a couple other uh, folks, we were able to read this week all the way through the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in one setting. It took about three and a half hours. And so wisdom is really on the top of, of my mind and my heart right now. And over and over and over in those two books particularly, it talks about seeking out wisdom, but it's never done in isolation. It is always done in submitting to a council, submitting to those you're walking with, submitting to other wise people. So if you are trying to evaluate whether or not something is wise or wisdom, here's what you need to do. You need to submit it to wise people around you who know you and love you. Okay, what makes people wise? What, what, what makes someone wise? Is it they have a high IQ? Is it that they have really good business acumen? Or, and, and maybe, maybe those are wise people who have a high IQ and, and good business acumen. Wise people, here, here's the evidence, is that they are full of the Holy Spirit in a life that is surrendered to him and to Jesus. That's what makes someone wise. And I would also add this one because I think it's overlooked. It's a person who loves the church. It's a person who loves the community of faith and all its messiness and all its worst. That's a wise person, right? Somebody who loves Jesus. Because if you, you find somebody who, who loves Jesus and is like, hey, yeah, I, you know, I don't know if you have wise people going, I'm really wise, but they, probably not, right? Avoid that one, okay? But if you have someone who says, I love Jesus, yet I don't really, I don't really care for the church, you don't have a wise person, okay? And so find wise people, surround yourself with wise people, ask these things of wise people. Listen, you and I, we can always find the answer we want. But submitting things to wise counsel, oftentimes we'll find out what God wants. Go to the people in the community of faith that surround you. And then the last thing is this, is Jesus going to be seen more clearly in my life by making this decision? Is Jesus going to be seen more clearly in my life by making this decision? Remember, this is a filter for our desires, okay? Paul would say in Philippians that we're to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Like, can I pursue this thing? Can I, can I withhold this thing or not be a part of this thing or, or add this or not do this? Can I, can I do that? And does it better adorn the gospel in my life? And now hear me. Now, oftentimes people, when, when it's said from a pulpit or a stage like this, people's minds instantly go to full-time vocational church work. And I didn't use the word ministry there intentionally because everyone is in ministry. Like this is not a call or a plea for full-time vocational church work. And the Lord may call you to that. I'm not negating that. But many of you in your lives, you adorn the gospel incredibly in business, in finance, in art, in the home, in music, in the classroom, in law enforcement, in medical, right? You're adorning the gospel in all of those areas. And the last thing in the world would be for you to step out of that sphere. The, the, the worst thing would be for you to, to get out of that and go to something else in the name of the Lord. That's why you've got to process through this. You need to wade through this. Is it biblical? Is it wise? Is Jesus seen more clearly in my life by making this decision? And in this season, hear me, in this season, it is really hard to remain faithful. To hear the words from the Lord, stay put. Right? Because we have this undercurrent, this, this angst that's, listen, it's in my life and in my heart, right? Do you, do you feel that? And so the way that we think that we, we should solve that or a, a solution to that angst and that undercurrent that's going on is, well, I just need change. Right? I need to change careers. I need to change houses. I need to change this. I need to change that. And maybe the word of the Lord is stay. And that's what his spirit's saying. 
All right. Second question is this. Um, And this seems like a rabbit trail in the text, but it's not. It goes hand in hand with what the Spirit's doing, right? So the Spirit first gave Paul this desire for Timothy. And then look at verse 3. And this is, again, where it could seem like a rabbit trail. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were all who were in those places. Wait a minute. Acts 15, Jerusalem Council, right? What was just decided that you don't need to be circumcised to be saved. Yet when he comes here to Lystra with Timothy, Paul's got his flint knife. All right? And he's going and Timothy's like, "Wait, Read the council. Read the letter. Please read the letter. We don't need to do that. Why? Timothy's circumcised. Why? Why did Paul circumcise Timothy? Is he negating everything that was just argued for in Jerusalem? No. And this is super important. You see, when Paul is faced with someone who would say to Timothy, you better circumcise him because he's not a Christian, Paul's response would definitely be, no way, you're dead wrong. However, this had nothing to do with Timothy's salvation. Rather, Paul looks and says to Timothy, I am willing and those who are with me for the sake of the gospel are willing to lay down our rights and do certain things we don't have to do in order that the gospel might go forth so others might be saved. Paul says, listen, we do it all so we might gain a hearing. It's not by accident that Luke includes that Timothy has a Jewish mom and a Greek dad. You see, in Lystra, they didn't have a synagogue. Now, Paul goes typically into these places, into the synagogue, and he knows if Timothy is going to go with him, they'll never get in the synagogues if he's not circumcised, knowing he has a Jewish mom. So they're not just asking something of him just so he can placate the audience. They're asking something of him to go, listen, we don't want a hindrance to anyone hearing the gospel. Are you willing to pay the price? That's a serious call. You see, for Timothy, it was circumcision. Let me tell you, adult circumcision is a massive sacrifice. But none of you are going to be asked to do this. But we are all asked to lay down something. Do you remember the three words we gave early on as we got back together about the book of Acts? Curiosity, risk or cost, and power. This is a cost. This is Timothy seeing what Paul is asking him to do. This is Timothy giving up his rights and his privileges and going, listen, I don't want anything to be a hindrance on the journey for anyone hearing the gospel. This has nothing to do with his salvation. This has nothing to do with whether him being in Christ or out of Christ. He is in Christ. The Holy Spirit has an amazing way of pinpointing the pain point in our lives, does he not? You see, Jesus, in in all of his interactions, he knew exactly the pain point in each one he'd talk with. The, The most famous one, probably the one that comes to all of our minds, is the rich young ruler. Right? He didn't say that same thing to every person he met, did he? But he went straight to the rich young ruler and the power of the Holy Spirit said, listen, you want to follow me? Here's what it costs. Sell everything you have. His pain point. Talking to the woman at the well, he knew that point. 
talking to all the different people that he met with, he all told them the same thing. It's going to cost you that which you are not willing to pay on your own. So we need to ask ourselves, what are you willing to do so that someone else may hear? What rights, what privileges, food, drink, activity, time, financial resources, career, preference, what is it? That Jesus, by His Holy Spirit, is asking us to lay down. You see, this is so countercultural. It's actually counter American church culture that says, you know, I do what I feel like doing, and I don't do what I, f- I don't feel like doing, right? There is a cost to following Jesus. You know that, right? If, you've ever, if you haven't heard that, let me be abundantly clear. Jesus says, listen, to follow me, you must take up your cross, die to yourself. That's the call. But Dallas Willard, who we quote a lot, says the cost of discipleship, what's even greater than the cost of discipleship is the cost of non-discipleship. See, imagine, just imagine the scene, Paul going to Timothy. I'm not making light of it, but him going, listen, I, I get it. I get it. You don't, have to do this. But this could be the difference between some people hearing and others not hearing. You see, this is radical and this creates curiosity. Think, think about what the people in Lystra could have said. Like, Timothy, you're doing, you're doing great here, man. You don't have to go through that. You're maturing in your faith here. A step of faith. All right, last question. How did Paul get to Macedonia. So first we say, how did Paul choose Timothy? There was this desire. Why did he circumcise him? Right? Because the spirit led and said, hey, listen, you need to do this so that it doesn't hinder the hearing and preaching of the gospel as we go forth together. And third, how did they get to Macedonia? And next week we're going to talk about the actual call here, but how did they get there? In the first place, did you see, did you see what happened here as they left these, these churches to strengthen them in Iconium and in, in, in Lystra? It says, and having went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. What? Holy Spirit forbidding? Next line. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Forbidden, and the Spirit did not allow. Back to the story about North Carolina. Thought we had it. Thought we were on our way. I ended up not getting that job. Slam door. Year later, someone would come up and go, How about McKinney, Texas? Oh, now I see. But you see, and, and it's interesting here, it uses the spirit of Jesus Christ. Is that a weird, that, that, that's unusual, right? It's not in the sense of that is the Holy Spirit's work and role. John Stott says that the role of the Holy Spirit is a floodlight ministry, that it makes much of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is about Jesus. It's illuminating him in his gospel for God's glory, okay? And so that's what's taking place here, but it is the slamming of doors, it's, it's the not allowing. It's the not allowance. That, and, and how many of us, like, we have problems with that, right? I was like, wait, no, that's what I want. Like, my desire was that, but now I've got to go left? Oh, I don't get to go, I don't get to go the route that I wanted to go? 
the career, the path, this, the kids, the marriage. I don't get to go that route. You see, what's interesting about the route that they wanted to take, Paul and Timothy and Silas, it was known as the common route, the Roman common route. Right? And it, you, you could see it, and you could see that they were on that way. However, the Holy Spirit, it was obvious that the Holy Spirit stopped Paul from taking the quickest and easiest route. The reason it was the common Roman route is because it was the easiest and the quickest. But the Holy Spirit, at time after time, stops them from going the easiest way and the quickest way to go, no, I want you to go my way. And here's what we should pick up from this passage is that Paul, Silas, and Timothy are more committed to hearing and yielding to the Holy Spirit than they are to their map. Okay? The easiest, quickest route. They were submitted to the Spirit, listening, hearing, asking what He wants them to do. And then there's another, there's another thing that happens here. So look at it. So there's desire. There's the Spirit not allowing them. You say, why didn't the Spirit allow them? We don't know. We don't know if it was an actual block in the road. We, we don't know. We don't know if there was an illness. We, we don't know. But we know what happens next in verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. So how does Paul make a decision? How does Paul get to Macedonia? A vision. Roadblock, roadblock, roadblock. God shows up. So what I'd say, ordinary, ordinary, extraordinary. What's the normative pattern, though, in this? Ordinary. Right? This vision is not the normative work of how God does things. This is not the normative operation of the Holy Spirit, but he saw fit in this time to provide this vision to Paul. Now, hear me. Hear me. The Holy Spirit today is in full operation. We believe that the scriptures hold to that, that every gift of the Spirit is alive and well. So there are still visions. There are still um, words of knowledge, words of prophecy, and things like that. All right? So I'm not negating that. I am just saying that this is not how we order our lives around the extraordinary movements of God like this. And I want you to also notice what they do here with this vision. Everybody doesn't just fall in line with Paul and go, Oh, Paul had a vision. Let's just, you know, wherever he says, you know, we'll go. There's an interesting word. It says in verse 10, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go, to go into Macedonia, concluding, that's the word, concluding that God had called us, multiple, to preach the gospel to them. So the idea of concluding here is that there was a group in agreement with what Paul had just seen and heard from the Spirit of God. Okay? So Paul doesn't just go, hey, listen, this is it, and we're moving forward. He goes, listen, I'm submitting this to you. It's like this mutual deference. I'm submitting this to you. Does this resonate? Is this, is this wise? Is this where God is really leading us? Because here's what I saw. And they concluded what? Yes, it is from God. And what they do? They went into Macedonia. They moved forward with the call. You see, back to the wisdom and the counsel of others. You see, even in the extraordinary, we should still submit those to one another. We should still submit those to the word of God. Does this vision, does this dream, does this word of knowledge, does this word of prophecy line up with what the scriptures say is true? If it doesn't, reject it and run from it. If it does, submit it. Submit it and be open-handed with it. You see, God is just as active in the thwarting of your plans, both in the ordinary and extraordinary, as he is in giving you 
your desires. You need to know that, right? God is just as active in how he redirects and how he steers and his plans being executed in your life as he is giving you those steps that you think you've had planned all along the way. So often, God uses the forward momentum of our lives to direct where he wants us to go. God does not waste, hear me, one ounce of your energy, but in turn flips it all upside down for his glory every time. Notice that Paul and Silas, they are moving through this region, right? They're not, they're not going back in Iconium like, okay, we're just going to sit here and wait. We're going to wait for a vision. We're going to wait. And we're going to No, he's going to go. No, we know what God has called us to do in the generalist of sense. And we're going to go. And we're going to step forward and we're going to step forward. And we're going to be sensitive in every step to hear his voice and how he leads us. Is that how you and I live? Is that how you conduct your life? So how do you follow the leading of God? Here's how. Walk with Jesus in a manner worthy of the gospel, seeking his spirit to lead you in the company of the wise. How do you go? Walking with Jesus, seeking the spirit, surrounded by wise people. Um, And I'll close with this. Uh, it's really easy for us to just fall into routine Christianity, right? Like this is what we do. This is, this is the plan. This is the execution, right? We go through, you know, elementary, high school, college, career. This is, this is, this is our plan in life. Or we function in the flesh instead of walking in vital dependence upon God's Holy Spirit. One of the main things we've seen in the book of Acts, hear me is the expansion of the early church was due to the working of the Holy Spirit. That he was directing and moving and empowering the apostles as they responded to his leading. Hear me, today is no different. Oh, the things and, and, and maybe how it looks, and yes, the early, it's not establishing the early church, but the directing, moving, empowering, if we would listen and submit and give space to the Spirit to do it, he is doing it. He wants to do it, not just corporately, but also individually in your life. If we want to see God work in a similar fashion to the stories that we read in Acts, we have to have the space and fight the tendency of our flesh just to go through the motions rather than daily seeking and submitting to follow the sovereign spirit. That's what Paul was doing. He was following the spirit above everything else in where it was drawing and leading him preventing him from going and going where he called him to go. So here's the last question. I want you to wrestle with this question this this week. Would you notice if God withdrew his Holy Spirit from your life this week? Would you notice? Or would it just be a week as normal? God, help us, I mean us as a church, to not be so set in stone on our own ways. To be so set in stone in our preferences and asserting our rights. And instead be a people who are humble and submitting to the Spirit, going, what do you want? 
And I hope you've at least sensed that in us, even as we've gotten back and we've tried to create these spaces, even in this service, right? What do we have to steward with together? We have this, this gathering to steward together where we just go, let's create space and time and ask the spirit what he wants to do. Ask him what he wants to pull out of us, what he wants us to draw us into. Let's ask him and create space for him. But listen, that must be the, something more than just a corporate activity. That must be an individual posture. We'll never be corporately what we're not individually. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word that is a light. Your word that speaks life to dry, weary bones. And Father, um, I'm asking for your forgiveness in not allowing your spirit the space to just speak, to redirect. Father, I am way too sure of myself. And so, Lord, I, I ask that um, you would graciously lead and guide the things you're drawing us into that on the surface, on the spreadsheet, are so costly. We know that the yield and the outcome are far greater than any cost we could ever pay. God, I'm so thankful that you don't ask from us something you don't already demonstrate. That you go ahead of us in laying your son down. You go ahead of us in making a way for us to have fellowship with you. And so, Lord, I pray wherever you're calling us as a church, whatever lies ahead, whatever you're calling each family, each person, whatever you're stirring or decision that's looming, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead with a clarity and with a peace. And that you would give us faith to walk in obedience in the direction you call us. For your glory, we ask all of these things. It's in your son's name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.